Hello everyone. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's great to be here. I've never been to Selston and now I have. How wonderful. Um, my church is a um, LEP, Local Ecumenical Partnership. So I'm in a Baptist URC church in New Southgate. So at the other end of the Piccadilly line. Um, and it's a wonderful place to be. I've been in ministry 15 years now. I was born and raised in East London. And then we moved to Buckhurst Hill, which is where I first heard a call to ministry. Um, and I went to Regent's Park College. Where did you go, Trevor? You went to, okay, that's all right, Bristol. <laughs> um, and my first church was at Woolwich, which is where Ruth's husband was a minister in the 70s, I think. Yes, so we have a connection there. Yeah, <laughs> and um, Ruth and Peter were a real blessing to me when I first started. I've still got Peter's bowl that he made for me. Um, it's on my coffee table at home. So my first church was Woolwich Central, and then I went to Poynton, uh, which is just outside of Manchester in Cheshire, um, which probably isn't that dissimilar to this church, actually, um, in, in its sort of uh, makeup. It's now um, far more trendy that I'm not there. But anyway, uh, there you are. Um, but Poynton was where I was very close to Chester, and that's where I started my doctoral studies. So I'm in the final year of the D-Prof, which is designed to... Um, help ministers particularly to reflect on their practice and um, to hopefully make some good theology. So what I'm going to share with you today is part of um, my research project, which is into the church meeting. Uh, My doctorate is a qualitative um, one, so it uses um, interviews and observations to try and make um, data about churches and try and understand what's going on. Um, So I selected four local Baptist churches near to where I'm in North London and I went to each of their church meetings which in itself was odd because no one ever visits anybody else's church meeting Um, and there's a whole chapter about how odd that was for some of the ministers in particular. Um, Anyway and then I interviewed two members from each of the churches and uh, the minister. Then I transcribed all of those interviews and then I coded them um, and um, came up with some themes. So what I've tried to do is to get some real research into the practice of the church meeting because it doesn't exist. Um, so that's good because I get my unique tick <laughs> straight away in, in the Bible, which is, which is good. Um, so um, just so you are assured, all of the names have been changed. And one of the things I realised as soon as I started transcribing was that all Baptist churches pretty much are named where they are. So I had to find a different name for all of these Baptist churches. And so they're all named after uh, famous female ministers, because when I was writing, they were it was the 100th year of the celebration of the ordination of women. So they're all named after famous women. And I'll leave you to try and work out who they are as we go through. Broadly, I discovered three things. The good news, the bad news, and how to change the bad news. Uh, So I'm going to just present a very short um, version of the good news, and then I'm going to invite you to do some work together, for which you will need a pen. So if you have a pen, dig it out. That would be great. Um, And if not, uh, Trevor's found some spares. Um, I don't... I I know a little about Selston through Trevor, but I don't know exactly what's been going on for you as a church. Um, But I would like to encourage you 
that any of you who might be downhearted with the church meeting and with congregational discernment as a rule, um, that you can be inspired. And I do that in the full knowledge that church meetings can and have been very difficult places. Um, You may have had an absolute corker even in the past week or perhaps in very recent history or maybe you're looking at the next one and dreading it. We'll walk through some of the difficulties we face with church meetings and I'm going to try and suggest to you ways in which we can change it for the better. So um, let's have a think about slow wisdom. So I tried to ask the people who I interviewed, what do you think discernment is? My title of my piece at the moment is How do Baptists discern the mind of Christ at the church meeting? So that's what I asked each person. And most people sort of laughed <laughs> or um, got very confused or sort of said, oh, I'm not sure we really do that. Which struck me as curious because here is a practice that is part of our identity as Baptists, our ecclesiology and our theology, and we are not confident of how to do it. So most people told me how not to do it rather than how to. Um, so I've had to sort of work backwards, really, and try to pull out what it is that I think we do when we say we're discerning the mind of Christ. And I'm calling that process slow wisdom. So that's, that's me. Ruth's phrase, slow wisdom. Um, Thank you. Can we have the next slide? Thank you. So the first thing about slow wisdom, which won't surprise you, is that it's slow. Okay. So you know that church meetings can be slow and hard work. Um, So Nell was one of my participants and she said this, you wouldn't expect decisions to be made at that meeting because it takes time, doesn't it? Okay. So the first thing about slow wisdom is it's slow. Thank you. And um, slow wisdom includes listening. Matthew is a minister of a church, German Baptist. I think the key to it is listening to each other and giving space to listening to God through one another. And the next one is prayer. So part of slow wisdom is prayer. Um, Daniel, a member at Gates Baptist. Um, We don't give enough time for prayers in this session. In fact, it was a really dominant theme. We need to pray more. We need to pray more. We need to pray more. The next one. Part of the search for slow wisdom is a yearning for revelation. So part of the thing we're trying to do when we pray is that we're yearning to hear from God. And some of the participants said, you know, we really want it to be like being on the Damascus Road. We want to hear a voice from heaven or see a, you know, ladder going up and know that God has spoken to us in this place. But interestingly enough, nobody said that happened in a church meeting. So discernment is not like revelation It's uh, that we see in the scripture. It's revelation in a different form. Thank you. And the final thing that's part of slow wisdom is something I'm calling consensus and comfort. So this is one of the markers that slow wisdom has happened. So we have a feeling of consensus and particularly that we have a sense of comfort. So people talked in quite... Um, uh, feeling-led words. And Barbara, who was the most glamorous person I met in the whole process, she said, it all fell into place and I felt a sense of comfort. So that's one of the markers for it. 
Discerning the mind of Christ is a Baptist practice of church members making decisions together at the church meeting. The process of discernment is long-winded and frustratingly slow, uh, but it includes this hope for revelation or prophetic even leading from God. We use a predetermined time schedule and we often use lengthy sentences of prayer and listening periods. We want consensus because the risk of rejection of an idea is, um, is trying to, you try to avoid it at all costs. And also because we think in scripture, if there is consensus, then the church is of one mind. Therefore, the Lord is leading Acts 4, 2 Corinthians 13, Philippians 2. Therefore, I call this process slow wisdom. Slow wisdom, I would say, and that sense of comfort is important here, is an embodied knowledge. Embodied in the sense that we know that the answer doesn't necessarily come from scripture, but we know it and are sure of it in our bodies. We can feel knowledge and that is how we uh, form the practice of discernment. Now prayer is particularly uh, critical discernment. And I don't know how your church meetings uh, run, but the hope is that prayer pervades and permeates the hearts of the members. And all members, we hope, are welcome to contribute to the process. And this is how we prefer to do discernment. And this practice, I think, particularly when we want to listen to everybody, indicates our belief in the priesthood of all believers so that every person can speak through God, because every person is a holy, uh, anointed person in the light of the Spirit. All members are believed, aren't they, to have the ability to hear from God at the church meeting, so all are equally able to discern the mind of Christ. The Baptist church meeting should be inclusive. I'm telling you this is the good news, okay? It should be inclusive. It should be that any single person who is there should be able to take part in uh, the process of slow wisdom. Go to the next slide, thank you. So that's a little summary of what I've just said. Baptists offer a slow wisdom embodied in the faithful schedule of meetings at regular intervals with particular patterns for difficult agenda items. You know that thing where people float an idea, go away and work at it, bring something back, you think about it a bit more and then the following meeting you might get something done, that pattern. Uh, consensus and comfort is important and they are valued indicators for an embodied knowledge that enables slow wisdom to emerge as what we call discernment. Okay, the next slide, thank you. So I'm saying that this is a form of practical wisdom. Practical wisdom, as Dorothy Bass says, she's an American um, theologian. In Christian communities, wisdom shows up in the kind of good judgment they are able to put into play in a particular time and place, as if by second nature. So if you've been born and bred a Baptist, you know that it will go through because you can feel it in your knower, deep in your stomach somewhere, you know that this is going to go through. The next slide, thank you. So, um, I'm saying that our practice shows a form of Christian wisdom, 
And um, this wisdom is um, what Aristotle called phrenesis. So it's a kind of thing that promotes living well. So it isn't head knowledge for head knowledge's sake, but it's the kind of thing that makes our lives work well. And hopefully that the kingdom is built through this. And it's exemplified through good deliberation. So it's not a snap decision, but it's something that you think through carefully and you do it together as a community. The practice of discernment is located in the church meeting where members are asked to pray and consider what God might be saying. And the wisdom is that it's slow and we give ample time to deliberation. That's the good news. I wonder, if you have one more slide, please, thank you. If I asked you this question, and maybe if you might talk to your neighbour... This is one of the questions I asked in the interviews. What is the best and worst church meeting you have attended? Now, my opinion is that church meetings are brilliant. All the ones I've been at pretty much have been brilliant. But anyway, you might not have had the same experience. What is the best and worst church meeting you've attended? Have a little chat amongst yourselves and we'll feedback. Okay, so what was the what was the best church meeting you have been to? And then we'll go for the worst. So let's have the best first. You can have your own idea. You can steal someone else's. What do you want? Go on. The last one. Oh, well done, Trevor. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Okay, so you had a well-attended church meeting, and that made it good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so um, attendance is a key marker about church meetings, and um, most of what we'll be dealing with is why people don't attend. So low attendance is like. A mega theme, and the other thing that you touched on a little bit there is about voting. So, I think I am going to make the T-shirts, and it will be Baptists love a good vote, and that is what one of the participants said to me. And basically, it happens that if there's a a vote, then the clarion call comes out quick, you know, or if you've got to get quorum, quick, quick, Um, and it's almost like that you're only valued if you're up there to turn your vote. And then you get a swell. Now, it's great that you had lots of people there. But if, if there was something to vote on and they hadn't been part of this long process of prayer and discernment, then you get a bit of a mismatch. And that's often when what has been thought through carefully doesn't go through. Um, another good, good thing. There was something over here, I think. More prayer. Wonderful. So you've changed format. So one of the helping, yeah, yeah, and changed the way in which you're fellowshipping together as well. Yeah. Okay. Great. Strangely, I think one of the 
And one of the things that's important about church meetings is that there is actually something to decide that's important for the health of the church, whether that's good or bad or just difficult, but that it's not filled with inherited agendas. Every agenda that I've seen has been, I'm sure yours are different, all the ones in my sample set, all of them have been inherited. So they just changed the date at the top and you know did the same reports in the same format. Um, and these are a variety of churches I did... Um, uh, a stratified sample, so it's small, medium, large, and very large. So you kind of um, under 35 members, 35 to 50, 50 to 100, and 100 plus. And they've all had inherited agendas, which means that not much is changing and no blue sky thinking is happening, is it? So it's good, I think, when the church comes together to have a really important and necessary decision to make, because I think it then means that people understand that it isn't just a talking shop, but it's actually a discerning body. So how about the worst? Um, you can just say a short phrase. You don't have to tell the whole story if you're worried about what you might say. The online ones. The online ones. Mine were great because very few people came. Um, <laughs> we have a digitally poor uh, church, so my, my online ones are great. There you go. And the deacons meetings were much better because you can't talk over each other in Zoom, can you? It has to be one time, one person at a time. Anyway, there you go. Um, okay, so the online ones were difficult. Is that because you had more than one screen of Zoom? So you couldn't see everyone's faces? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So because everyone's behind their screen, it's almost like they're behind an email, so they can send a rotter of an email or say something awkward on Zoom, but they wouldn't say someone's face directly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any other not good ones? <sighs> okay. Yeah, you are. <laughs> So group works have been hard for you. Okay. Yeah, and I think sometimes um, if you allow the church meeting to be known as an open forum, 
and particularly in larger churches, I think I've seen this, you get the membership deciding that they will hold the staff members to account at the church meeting rather than it being a joint endeavour to discern the mind of Christ. And that's the shift that I think particularly larger churches need to work at the most. Um, so um, the largest church that I work with, they saw the church meeting as part of a communication suite. Um, so they would talk about an idea um, in house groups, in the church newsletter, on the website, Sunday mornings and the church meeting. And I think one of the things that it does is it, it means that you are setting up the staff team up here and then what people love to do is to throw things at them. To, and I think that, that's where that relationship can be quite difficult. Um, and um, and it might be that in the churches that you come from, um, there's been historic issues. Um, so the the hardest things um, that we that I encountered were um, historic issues that are about thirty years old, where the church has split, and then you kind of got the remnant really who are just grumpy <laughs> about being the remnant, um, and that pain of you know when half the meeting walked out that wretched meeting when they did that to that employee, that youth worker, that um, uh, treasurer, um, that then forms a basis where people are either not coming or walking on eggshells. And it, it doesn't help with that kind of accountability relationship um, either. Go to the next slide, please. Thank you. So the presenting issues were mainly about these five areas. Conflict, won't surprise you. Power struggles, absenteeism, inertia, and low attendance. For me, the worst of those in, is inertia, actually, because there are churches that, um, there was one church in particular, I still haven't quite processed how I managed to sit on my hands and not say, um, have you thought about the fact that you're going to run out of money in three months' time? Um, you know, can you not see this precipice that, you know, but they were arguing about the car park instead. You know, and I think churches get stuck in this, and all churches now cannot afford to waste time uh, worrying about you know the colour of chairs or carpet. You've got to be thinking about how we're literally going to survive, literally, physically. I mean, a lot of ministers. I don't know what the figures are, Trevor, for the LBA, but some churches have just folded, and we took a twenty k hit in higher income. The only way we could afford to keep paying me was different higher arrangements that we have. Um, and every church will have been affected. And now we're seeing different patterns of attendance, different patterns of giving and tithing. Uh, so we need to be really smart and um, courageous about how we do ministry. And one of the things I think is the killer is inertia. I'd almost rather have an arguing church than one that wasn't bothered. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're the problems, the big ones. So how I went about, I thought I'd share with you a bit of my methodology, which I don't know if you like that sort of thing or not, but um, I'm going to give you out some sheets, um, and you need um, a big one between two and one of those each. So if could I ask you perhaps to pass them round? Thank you. So the methodology that I used... You need a pen as well. The methodology I used was um, based in grounded theory, which is a kind of massive umbrella term for sociological research. Um, and what you do is you use basically a method for sorting through all of the words of the interviews and for grouping them into themes. 
So the first one I did was something called in vivo coding, and then I did a secondary coding cycle called axial coding, which is what you're going to have a go at today, axial coding. So axial coding um, asks questions of the data. So the data that you've got coming round is two excerpts of the interviews that I had. Thank you. So everyone got pen, paper? If you want to pair up or you could be in a four if you want, that's fine. I'll have one. Thank you, Chis. Oh, you've got one. That's it. Great. So, um, thank you very much, Chis. So, um, you'll see that on the big sheet, you've got um, questions to ask of the text on the small sheet. So, the first one is Nell. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to think about what's the overall theme or the condition of this text. And then context, where do you think that theme has come from? And then the consequence, what's the impact? Um, there's three other stages, but I thought three would be enough. Um, and um, if you look at Nell first, and then um, Carol is on the back. Um, perhaps if I just, if you read along and I'll read it out loud. Um, so this is Nell. Nell is from Hedger Baptist Church. Who knows who Hedger is in the Baptist world? Violet Hedger, first woman minister at Regent's Park College, ordained in 1918. Um, a lot don't come from the Baptist tradition, so they don't see that the church meeting is important, and so perhaps they don't have the same view of the church meeting as somebody like me, who was brought up in a Baptist church, who see that the final authority in church under God is the church meeting. She was quite right on this lady, okay? Um, she was the church secretary as well. Even the deacons, even the deacons are answerable to the church meeting and not many grasp that. They think the deacons and the ministers can make all the decisions. In fact, I've even heard it at the deacons meeting. I come from a tradition where it's the minister's job to do it. But it's this body life which is supposed to be the Baptist thing, which is foreign really. And me, uh, do you think perhaps Baptists haven't been very good at explaining the theology of the church meeting to new members? That may well be true. We just assume they'll pick it up. I write something occasionally about it in the church magazine. So have a look at Nell and have a think about what's the condition, the context and the consequence. Now, um, if you turn over from Nell, um, Nell's pretty tame. Carol's story is a bit more difficult. So um, Carol is the minister at... Coleman Baptist Church. Who knows who Coleman is? Kate Coleman is the first black female president of the Baptist Union um, and um, fantastic woman. Um, it's a big church, massive church. And um, I went to their AGM and they put through this budget. I wonder how it would go here themselves. And they put through this budget that meant they needed at least a 25% increase in their total giving there was not one question asked. And I was like, what's going on here? Like, literally, they didn't have the money to pay for what they needed to do. And so I asked her, I said, why were there no questions at the church meeting about the finances? And she said this. We've had a bit of a rocky two years with finance because we had a previous treasurer who wasn't really a treasurer, right? Lovely lady, Carol said, 
Ruth, out of her depth, Carol. Yeah. African and bringing in the storehouses, give, 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 tithe, 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 and it was kind of hard. And then she didn't present well. So what happened in the end was I had to kind of say to her that it's good for Mike, a white man, by the way, uh, to present instead. The guy that presented, he's a deacon, you know. And uh, she'd already resigned and she has left the church. So what's the condition, context and consequence? They don't have to be long answers. Just have a think about what they are and we'll come back together in a little bit. Okay. Oh, by the way, this is coding bingo. So if you get the right answers, you can shout bingo at the end. Okay. Okay, if you want to just draw your thoughts to a close. And we'll go through them together. So, if we could have the next slide, thank you. Um, And the next one. So, for Nell... Um, The condition, as in the main theme I've said, is that she's talking about other denominations. So she's always talking about people who aren't Baptist, who are um, not understanding who Baptists are, and she's saying that they're foreign even. Um, The context, and I've used, in in vivo coding is where you use the words of the participants to group your theme on, on their real words. So it's not your words that you're making up, it's their words. And she knelt, Although she was forthright about a lot of things, she gave me this beautiful phrase, which is this body life, which I think really describes how Baptists should work, like the body of Christ, yes? Um, so this, this body life is her context. And the consequence of all of these other denominations not understanding the importance of the church meeting is that they don't come. Okay, so the consequence is low attendance. Coding is something of a dark art, really. Um, There's no one that really checks your working. (laughs) Um, So you're looking and trying to understand how things connect to. So this was one um, theme, other denominations. And lots of other people across the um, interviews talked about people, you know, muggles who come from outside the Baptist world, who don't understand how we work. Okay, and let's look at the next one. Carol, and next slide, sorry, thank you. So the condition I've said is racism. The context, a different voice. And the consequences, well, certainly one less treasurer, low attendance. Yeah. Imagine how that story would have been played out in that multi-ethnic congregation as well, though. Um, I don't know what your uh, attendance records are like, um, but that, that church, um, it was several hundred people strong on Sunday mornings. And when I went, I think there were 60 people at the church meeting. Um, so my second church, Pointham, was about 200 people, 220. And we would get 
Well, for my voting in, we got 140, which was apparently a bit of a high point, but there you go. <laughs> um, so it was more like 60. So it's, it's, it seemed to me particularly low in proportion. And I'm sure that you might have the same experience. You have more people on a Sunday than you do on a church meeting. Um, which means it just it skews the decision making because it means that there's a smaller group of people making a decision for a wider group of people who don't necessarily know what they think. And you're missing out on something of the spirit speaking through them too. Who got all of them right? Can anyone claim bingo? <laughs> Almost. There you go. It's As I say, it's, it's per- partly a, um, a personal decision. Um, so I've grouped some of these um, topics, the ones that we talked about before, conflict, power, power struggles, low attendance, inertia, as barriers to wisdom. And if I was going to make the uncomfortable statement, it's this, that Baptists are really good at discerning together, really good at doing that, even if we're not quite sure how we do it. But the fact is, I think, from these four churches that Baptist churches do not ordinarily welcome difference. So this is a group of three sections of people who Baptist churches typically don't welcome. The first is young people, into the church meeting I mean. Young people don't get welcomed, people from other denominations don't get welcomed, and people of a different skin colour to white don't get welcomed. And those people do not attend the church meeting, even if they're church members. Which means that the decisions that the church meeting are making are made by white, retired old men. Yeah. So then you get people from a very particular worldview making decisions about a congregation that's very different. And if that's the discerning heart of Christ, I think we have a imbalance that needs to be fixed um i don't know if you have posters at the front i know you've got a very large garden haven't you (laughs) um anyway church posters often say we welcome all sorts and there's a there's a there's a cpo poster with the sweetie all sorts isn't there and you might have something similar uh, around about or they might say something like come as you are as a church okay but We need to ask ourselves, how many different people are in our membership? How many different people are in our leadership? Who is on stage? Who is seen the most? Um, The data from my project shows that if you are different from the historic norm of the church, you probably won't attend the church meeting. Nell talks about churches full of people not born Baptists. And at the end of it, I love this bit about the church newsletter, church magazine. We assume they'll pick it up. Yeah? Did you hear that? How will they know the importance of this body life, this woman who's dedicated her life to Hedger Baptist? I mean, incredibly so, but yet doesn't tell other people how to join in. Yeah? Carol um, talked about a difference um, presented at the church meeting about ethnicity about theology, about manner of speaking, and about terms of expression. How do we welcome difference? I think my approach always is to unpack differences and choose whether or not we want to overcome them. It might be that you don't, 
<laughs> but the work that a church, I think, should be doing is to unpack them. When we think about people from other denominations, it's very dangerous to assume that they'll just pick it up, isn't it? Of course, of course we know that. Of course we know that, especially when you use the word assume. We know that automatically, don't we? Um, Pierre Bourdieu talks about a theory of habitus, which opened my eyes to how power works in church meetings. So he describes habitus as a way of being in the world. And he explores how we interact as um, human beings socially. And so Nell, in her church, she knows about how Baptists do discernment. She knows slow wisdom, but she doesn't really tell anyone actively, does she? Occasionally writing something about it in the church magazine. So Nell has what Bourdieu would call capital and power. She's from the right background. She's from a um, working class made good through a grammar school, very popular in that part of London. She's got white skin. She's got education. One of the few people who had a, um, a degree from a red brick university in that, in that particular church. And she's got experience. She's been in the church 40 years. She's run the Sunday school since day dot. She knows the story and the history of the church. On the Baptist playing field of the church meeting, Nell wins all the decisions she wants, particularly because the new black younger Methodist doesn't know the rules and doesn't stand a chance. Carol. Carol's the minister of a historically white church. In fact, of course, all Baptist churches in the UK are historically white, aren't we? And there has been an influx of people from different parts of the world. And particularly in Baptist churches, um, there has been an influx of people from Baptist missionary connections. So from Ghana and from Nigeria, where the Baptist missionaries are particularly prevalent. And they've come to the Baptist church expecting a welcome. Every Baptist church has the norm of being a white church. Apart from, there are a few black majority churches um, that have been created in the LBA. So... There is a task for us as churches to think about what is white about our church. Now, you might have thought about that a lot, I don't know, or you might never have thought about it. But here's a question. When someone who isn't white attends, how are they welcomed? One of the things that I think we could do with doing is acknowledging white culture, practice and the ways of doing things. Now, Willie Jennings is a brilliant Baptist theologian from the States, and he talks about how organisations assume a model of whiteness without noticing it. So it's just the way things happen around here, and it's how everything runs. So, like me as a white person, I know that I can walk into a coffee room and just get a cup of coffee and sit down and chat to everybody else in a normal way. But someone from a different culture might not like coffee, one, and they might not know that's what you're supposed to do because they come from a more formal tradition. So it's things that seem absolutely normal to white people that aren't normal around the world that cause issues for people who are not from a white background. So Willie Jennings talks about this in a way of um, affection. So in Selston Church, you will have an affection for a particular style of preaching. Obviously, it's Trevor's. Okay, So you have a particular liking of the style of preaching that Trevor gives because he's the man that you call to be your minister. And that's the kind of preaching that you like here. Okay, So that's the kind of choices that a church makes. So if um, you did a celebration for someone's birthday at the church, maybe someone turned 100. 
what might you do if it was a hundredth birthday? If I'm a white person, I'm going to guess you're going to do an afternoon tea. And it will be laid out in a particular way and it will be very pretty and very beautiful and it will be great. But that might not be what an African Methodist would think that you might do. And that's a difference because what we assume we would do isn't necessarily done. And the thing that happens at Coleman is that this comes to bite over theology. Okay, So the treasurer is rejected by the church meeting because she's African. She's talking about an African prosperity theology model about giving and tithing. Now, this treasurer was right. That church needed to put their hands in their pockets to pay for their budget. And which treasurer does not ask for more money, tell me? Hmm? She's completely right. And I think she was trying to pull on biblical models to draw a bridge between the white retired people that she was speaking to and um, her position. And she used a particular phrasing that meant that she wasn't accepted because the affection of that meeting, and I think for a lot of white people, is that we don't really like to talk about money because it makes us feel uncomfortable. And we don't like to talk about the fact that money might be a blessing because we think that might be that you're getting paid to be a church. Yeah? And so we have a natural aversion to that as white people, and so she gets rejected at the church meeting, even though she's saying the right thing. She's also a woman. Couldn't get any worse, really, could it? Anthony Reddy says that the body of Christ is all about reconciling differences. If we're to do our job as a church, we have to think about differences and seek to reconcile them. I don't need to quote scripture at you, do I? Hand, foot. My mouth, every part is needed. And I'm arguing that the church meeting is a radical place. It's radical because we can hear into speech those who are different from the norm. It's a place where we can hear the Spirit speaking to us in a fresh and exciting way. And it's a place where Baptists expect everyone to be able to discern the mind of Christ because we believe in the priesthood of all believers, which means that someone who's Methodist, young and black, and doesn't understand what's going on in the world, but comes, becomes a member of your church, can hear the Spirit just as much as a white, older man who's been the secretary for 25 years. We believe that, don't we? Yes? And the church meeting is the place often where people from um, outside the white world are um, you know, put upon at work and find opportunities very difficult. This can be a radical place. This can be the place where their idea is taken seriously and they are not judged but brought into uh, a full realisation of the Spirit's power. So what I'm encouraging us to do, thank you, next slide is to be open to different people and ideas. I think we need to explain how the meeting works and we need to make the meeting accessible. Have the next slide, please, thank you. And one of the two ways that we can do that, I know we've got a vote against group work, is to use group work and, um, I'm not going to talk about this much tonight, but to establish a code of conduct. Um, some church meetings shouldn't have to have a code of conduct but actually sometimes they need one and particularly using group work so when we use group work to avoid the the reason I say group work is good and we'll talk about a a model um, here um, is that it disrupts power 
So if you're in a meeting like this, maybe with three times the size of this in rows, the people who will speak are the people who are used to speaking in the same format in their workplace. Yeah? Or people who have been around the block a very long time. So then you only get people that are born and bred Baptist speaking or are really gabby or people who are used to hearing the sound of their own voice and liking it. So who does that mean you get speaking at the church meeting? And who does that mean influences the decision-making process? Yeah. So the way in which you hear every voice, because we believe the Spirit speaks through every person, is to use group work with rules. <laughs> so you, whatever you want to do, um, so um, uh, Coleman Baptist Church, which just was hilarious, they decided that they wanted to try and get mulled wine at the carol service. Apparently, in the midst of time, you won't have wine on the site. You may well have this discussion. It might be a live issue for you. I don't know if it is or not. Um, we're a URC church. We're going to have wine, which is great. We don't because we've got loads of alcoholics in the congregation, but that's another thing. Anyway, they invited a student minister to steer through the church meeting. It's a good ploy, isn't it, Trevor? Getting wine at a, church, at a carol service. But the student minister was game, and I applaud them. And they uh, got people into groups, and they held... A stone each and they could only speak when they held the stone and they passed it round and every person was heard every person's point was written down and then it was all fed back into the meeting and they behaved themselves and they got a policy on alcohol and they can now have alcohol at the carol service it had gone round the church meeting for about 15 years is there anything like that in your maybe <laughs> okay have the next slide thank you I'll just end um, on this story. Daniel is at Gates Church. Edith Gates had a very flourishing ministry at Cleverly. Cleverly, Cleverly, not sure which one. Uh, she was one of the early pioneers. Uh, 1919, she was ordained. Um, Daniel is a deacon. He's a black middle-aged man from Cameroon. There was one that we did on pastoral care. That one was beautiful. There were so many contributions. So when we break people up into groups like that, and we get almost everyone's views, and then we pray together. So that is, that's what I think the question on discernment will come in on. We are discerning the mind of Christ on that particular point we're looking at. Daniel um, was a really kind man and he was very hospitable to me. He identifies a good meeting as one where opinions are written down and so there is recognition of importance of people's views and this fosters people to contribute because they can see that when they speak it gets heard and that's what I mean by being heard into speech as a feminist theological position where you're, when women speak for the first time about how they're feeling, actually they are then um, able to express what's feeling, what, what they're feeling. And it's the same for the Baptist church meeting. When you get people to speak who don't normally speak, they will be speaking in truth and in by the Spirit, in our point of view, but also their story is being held. So they're being empowered. Each person is being empowered. The thing that struck me about Daniel's story um, was that he called the process beautiful and I have ne- <laughs> I've never heard a church meeting called beautiful before um, 
And I've never heard a man describe a church meeting as beautiful. And I found that quite interesting. It highlighted to me the significance of language between uh, um, and nationality. I would have expected a white man of his position to have said a process was good or powerful or useful, but he chose beautiful. And it's particularly because of this format change. And he highlighted to me that using group work isn't just prosaic. It's actually, um, it helps to write a policy, but it, it values the individuals within the church. And it's a symbol of multi-voice participation. It identifies goodness, beauty, and that is where the discernment of Christ's mind comes in. Have one more slide, please. Thank you. Oh, it's one at the end. Um, Toyin. Toyin was a delightfully um, loud woman from Jarman. Sorry, from Hedger. And she said this. Um, it was about, it was just at the end of the interview. And um, I sort of said, Oh, is there anything else you'd like to say? And she said, uh, She said this. So, church meetings. These are the kinds of places that we can talk about such things as, oh, for the next semester or the next term, what book can we study? Or should our emphasis maybe on steward be maybe stewardship or discipleship? One of the things that I think is really important for a church meeting is that a creative agenda is in place. If we don't have creative agendas where we're looking forward, where we're thinking about how the kingdom's going to grow and how our church is going to grow, then we will just be stuck arguing about the last meeting's minutes and bullet points and full stops and things like this. Group work and a code of conduct is critical. And I would say to you that a creative agenda is vital and people are hungry for it. They don't want to go to a boring church meeting where you just receive reports. We want to go to a church meeting where we are trusted to discern the mind of Christ. And that means about a journey. For me, wisdom isn't about um, just knowing from the past what works well in this situation. It's about looking forward with a kingdom mindset and saying, how do we move forward as a church? There, is a, there should be an energy to a church meeting and a forward-looking nature to it. So a church meeting should have a creative agenda. I hope that you could benefit, um, recognise the benefit of slow wisdom. Slow wisdom is what we Baptists do well. And mixed into that is conflict, power, low attendance, absenteeism, fear of other and difference. And I hope that the work that I'm doing will help us to change because I can't think of anything more fundamental to being a Baptist, maybe apart from baptism, that the church meeting is. There's no other church like it where genuinely the members make the decisions for the church. And it's because we believe that that's a theological standpoint that's worth dying for. You know, we died for it in the 1600s. I wonder if we would today. It's how we're formed. And I'd encourage us to break down barriers to participation. For younger people, we could have the meeting at a different time or in a different way. For people who um, are from other denominations, we could be sharing our power and telling other people how to participate, more than just a membership introduction, but actually coaching people in how to doing it. 
And I think that when we listen to people who are different to ourselves, it's a truly beautiful thing. And I think it's something of a foretaste of heaven. You know that picture from Revelation 7? Before I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, nation and people and language was standing before the throne and the Lamb. And they cried out saying, salvation belongs to our God. I hope that slow wisdom might be of a benefit to you and I hope that you might be able to think of ways you can change your church meeting for the better too. Thank you. Mm. Um, I haven't talked a lot about membership because my question is more about how we actually make decisions together. How do we discern? And that was... um, a question that from my practice in Woolwich was that we were thinking about rebuilding the church and there was um, a glutteral sound at the mention of um, a multi-purpose church space and so we tried to understand what that was and it meant that we had a much better plan much much better plan in the end Um, and I think what I saw in the sample churches was that the membership numbers were fine most people that were engaged in church life were members they just weren't coming. <laughs> or they had been um, burnt by previous experiences, so didn't come anymore. Or came once and thought it was dull, you know, that sort of thing. So it's more that um, trying to engage with the members that you have rather than uh, membership itself being a problem. Yeah. And also, Darren Holmes in... Um, Australia has written a really good defil on membership, so I've left it to him. <laughs> no. I'm a member of a gym, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course, yeah. 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 I don't think there are many closed membership Baptist church Baptist Union churches anymore. But yeah. It used to it, I think yeah, it used to be a pretty live issue. Yeah. Um, for the most part, uh, Baptists are, are an open table, an open membership. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I was going to say, is that all right? Most gracious and beautiful Lord, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for uh, the witness that Selston has been for so many years to so many people. And Lord, I pray for all of us, Lord, that we might continue to be um, seekers after your name. That we might always be thinking about how we can be effective for your kingdom to proclaim Jesus's name wide and proudly. And Lord, I pray for each person here, Lord, as we go to our beds, perhaps we've been thinking about particular meetings or particular things that we want to talk about at a church meeting. 
Um, and maybe we've never thought about church meetings as much. But Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord. Um, help us to discern your mind. Help us to think through what it is that you are teaching us and that you might continue to grant us your wisdom as we navigate our world, whatever it is next week. Lord, I pray that you might be a continued blessing for us as we go into the night. May we sleep well, well may we rest well, and may we delight in your presence um, from this day forward, Lord. Lord, I thank you for um, an openness to thinking about new things. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to instill that spirit in this church. Amen. Thank you for having me.